0: Our lesson this morning is Colossians 1, uh, verses 11 through 20, found on page 176 of your New Testament Pew Bible. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning.
1: Hear the words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. May God add a blessing to this reading. Today we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. And I want to first say that uh, we intended to have this day be the day for Pastor Ian's installation um, into the, in, you know, into the church, as pastor of the church officially, and we were really hoping that this would be the day, because we wanted to call it his coronation, <laughs> Christ the King, you get it, this book, be- this book, be- Peculiar language of royalty doesn't really resonate with those of us who don't live in a country that is ruled by a monarchy, although we do have a great enthusiasm for the TV show The Crown. I hear a lot about it. And as a preacher, it's a challenge to come up with a theological angle for a sermon on Christ the King Sunday. So most preachers I know just avoid it. It's much easier to preach about gratitude and thanksgiving the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But I'm giving it a shot this morning because there's something about this strange declaration that Christ is King that's been tugging at my heart lately. And so I decided to respond to this challenge. But where do I begin? How about with Kanye West? Anyone familiar with Kanye West? Yeah. Oh, at 8.30, there were tons of fans. Are you really? Okay. Well, or at least fans. I don't know if that's maybe an overstatement, but they knew who he was. Some of you um, might not know who Kanye West is. Um, He's a hip-hop singer and songwriter, arguably the most accomplished rapper in the 21st century. Kanye, in fact, is one of the top-selling musicians of all time. He has won 21 Grammy Awards. He has a fashion line. He's a record producer. He's been on Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential persons twice. Kanye might best be known for being the husband of Kim Kardashian, she herself a colorful pop culture figure. Kanye has found himself in the limelight many times for all sorts of reasons, um, mostly because of his coarse speech and his um, unbecoming antics. But Kanye has gotten a lot of media attention lately because this controversial character claims to have made a powerful conversion to Christianity. I thought, well, like Bob Dylan and other musical icons before him, who also had faith uh, conversions, Kanye's conversion to Christianity has created quite a fuss among his fans and critics. Now, I'm far from a connoisseur of rap music, although I have listened to the album, and never would I have imagined I'd include Kanye West in a sermon. But I've been intrigued that this rap star's conversion has rocked the music industry. What I find particularly interesting is not the arguments uh, about whether his conversion is authentic and sincere, or is it a ploy, um, a ruse in order to sell more records. What I'm intrigued by is the title of his album, Jesus is King. Jesus Is king. Now, language is powerful, right? Words matter. And as Pastor Ian preached last week, our Christian funny talk can create a stir. It's peculiar. Our gospel passage today of Jesus' crucifixion is a strange lectionary choice for Christ the King Sunday. We'd assume that reflecting on the kingliness, the kingliness of Christ, would involve scriptures uh, with him being seated high and lifted up upon a throne, seated at the right hand of God Almighty. Perhaps readings from the book of Revelation would be appropriate about the royal city with Jesus clothed in glorious royal garb. Perhaps we could have focused on his transfiguration— or a reading from Isaiah, where all authority rests upon his shoulder. But instead, we're given a glimpse of the kind of king we are to consider today. A king hanging on a cross between two thieves, dying a criminal's death. A king accused of sedition against the Roman Empire. The criminal on one side was deriding Jesus. The criminal on the other recognized him as king. The cross is such a strange place to have this conversation about his kingliness or his kingdom. If Jesus is king, the cross, not the crown, is the symbol for the Christian faith. So this Jesus as king on the cross was clearly not on the side of the royalty or the powerful. And being followers of this king leaves no room for pomposity or arrogance or superiority. What then does it mean to give allegiance to a king that is upon a cross? Let's go back to the first century, to the time after Jesus' departure, when the early Christians were called people of the way. Let's imagine what it meant for those followers in the ancient world to declare their allegiance to Jesus. The one they confessed was the Messiah, the Christ. In fact, Christos Kyrios, Christ is Lord, was the earliest confession for the Christians. And the Roman Empire demanded allegiance from its citizens. So to say Christ is Lord was to resist the rule of the empire. And to resist bowing one's knee to Caesar was to invite persecution upon oneself. Christian martyrs were plentiful in the first two centuries. Christians were also recognized as communities of justice and love and generosity, of, of slaves and rich, the powerful men, women. They were mixed communities of faith, and they were known for that. They were also known for their allegiance to God and resistance to the empire. Constantine, Emperor Constantine, made Christianity the official religion of the empire in 325 So from then on, Christianity was the Roman Empire's most powerful religion. And some historians and theologians would argue that becoming the religion of the empire wounded the heart and soul of Christianity. Jesus never intended followers uh, to be the people in power. Jesus modeled the paradox of power. Christ's power was in his suffering on the cross. Jesus taught that power comes in dying to self, in picking up one's cross and following him. He taught the only way to keep power is to give it away. The only way to have love is to give it away. Jesus exhibited power unlike any other king the world had experienced. So for followers of Jesus, it's in the cross, not the crown, where our power lies. Jesus taught more about the kingdom of God than he did any other teaching. His parables were rich with metaphors because they were attempts to get people, his hearers, to conceptualize an entirely new reality, a new reign, a new realm of God. Parables are hyperbolic and humorous and bewildering and almost always disturb the hearers, because parables tell the truth, but with a slant. The theological notion of the kingdom of God, I know, is difficult for many of us. We've so associated the kingdom of God with heaven or the afterlife That we've lost track of Jesus' teachings about the realm of God or the reign of God here on earth among us. In Luke's gospel, Jesus ushered in the kingdom and then called us to keep manifesting the kingdom in our hearts, in our families, in our cities, in our communities, in our nation. We are to enflesh the kingdom of God. So when we declare that Jesus is king, we are declaring a different sort of world in the making, a world in which justice and peace reign over hatred and violence. Jesus' message of a new realm with a new king was too threatening. It was dangerous to the powers that be, so they attempted to extinguish him and his gospel message. So, if Christ is king, he must reign in our hearts. He must reign in our minds. He must reign in our bodies. He must reign in the ways we choose to live counterculturally. In 1934, five years before the Second World War began, the Theological Declaration of Barman was drawn up by protestant pastors and theologians in germany and the declaration was in response to the rise of nazism and in resistance to the german christian movement that was already aligning itself with nazi leadership fascist ideology was seeping into the protestant church and therefore the confessing church pastors including Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they drafted a public response to Nazism, making clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ claimed that Jesus is Lord and there was no other sovereign over him. The Barman Declaration made clear that the Church of Christ would never be subordinate to any state, And as you might imagine, many of those confessing church pastors were executed by the Nazis by the time the war ended. The Barman Declaration was adopted both by the Lutherans and the Reformed Church and is, in fact, in our book of confessions. And what's amazing about the Barman Declaration is that it's a living document they really all are living documents. But this one keeps calling us back to our conviction that Jesus Christ alone is Lord, and the church of Jesus Christ is never to, subordin- to subordinate itself to any rulers. Right. And there are corners in the Christian church, many located in Colorado Springs, actually, in which Christian leaders want to have access to the highest offices in the nation because they see it as the only way of maintaining Christian power, to keep Christians in power. They want the crown, not the cross. And many lament that this country is losing its Christian identity and they're apoplectic when a clerk says happy holidays instead of merry Christmas and they get on social media and rail that the Starbucks barista handed them a cup without Christmas cheer and I'm here to tell you we are in a post-Christian era we don't have to be afraid though, we don't have to grasp for the power back We might actually be moving closer to being the church before Constantine, before we were the religion of the empire. So what is it for us to declare Christ is Lord today in our own lives and in this time and place we live, a time rife with greed and selfishness and bitter partisanship? What does it mean to honor Christ's kingship through his suffering? What does the cross offer us by way of example, warning, and benediction? What version of citizenship might we live out that will begin to mirror Jesus as king? Now, there are no easy answers. Jesus is king. What a peculiar declaration. I hope for Kanye West that his faith conversion is authentic. Time will tell. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit, and that applies to all of us. I sincerely hope Kanye's followers and critics will see that the cross of Jesus, that Jesus is king But he's not ruled by the crown. He's ruled by the cross. I want to finish in the words of Paul, written to the church of Colossia. May we all be made strong with all the strength that comes from Christ's glorious power. May we be given patience to endure everything while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you, has enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Friends, this is our benediction. This is our charge. This is our blessing today
0: and every day. Thanks be to God.